Hello, hello, leading women in tech. Welcome back to the podcast. Welcome if you're new around here. I'm Tony, your career bestie. Head on over to tonycollis.com if you want to find out more about me and what I do. But welcome to the show. This is the place to be if you are ready to up level your leadership career in the tech industry. I know what it takes to really thrive in the tech industry, both from my own career, getting my all the way up to the C-suite myself, but also having coached dozens and dozens of women. And that's really what I share with you on this podcast. Today, I want to dive into a topic that's been coming up for several of my clients recently, the art of influence. This is a lot of negativity around it. And I really want to dig into it because this is one that I saw, I had to figure out, I figured it out accidentally in my career. And it's just so incredibly important, and yet it has this real negative set of connotations to it. So I want to talk to you today about the art of influence as a leader, what it means for us as women to be influential as well, and doing all that without feeling icky or uncomfortable, and because I'm here to make your life easier, <laughs> I'm also going to show you how to create a repeatable step-by-step process that you can just whip out when you need to get your decisions heard, you need backup for your decisions, you need to influence to make sure that you get yourself heard. You're listening to the Leading Woman in Tech podcast where we talk about real leadership and what this means for the world of tech, the techniques, tips and strategies you can use to become a standout leader. I'm your host, Tony Collis, tech leadership coach, strategist, and coffee lover. And in each episode, I share my best insights designed to make your success not just simple, but inevitable. Whether you're on the way to the C-suite, an emerging leader, or a budding entrepreneur, this is the podcast you need to become a lit-up leader and turn your tech passion into a career you love. Let me talk to you about the elephant in the room here whether or not influence is a bad thing. First of all, let's put some context around that statement. Using influence is essential at every stage of your leadership career, but the higher up you go, the more important it is. As you go up in your career, you'll realize that you have less authority simply because of your position. I know that sounds like it's like the opposite way around from how it should be. You're higher up, you should have more authority. That's not how it works in reality. Because despite the fact that you're rising up the ranks in your career and therefore have a higher position, which means somehow you have more authority on those underneath you, the problem is that as you rise up, the people who influence the decision makers around you dramatically changes. In your first leadership role, which may, well, your first management role, we can be leaders at every stage in our life, right? But in your first management role, maybe a team lead or something like that, you probably only need to get agreement from one, maybe two people. Possibly you're like managers, right? Your boss needs to sign off on your plans. And more to the point, your plans that he's or she is signing off on are clearly aligned on one agreed priority set because it's coming down from above. But as you rise up the ranks, things become less clear cut because suddenly you're on the group of people making those priority decisions for those lower down the hierarchy. And those decisions, while appearing clear cut once you're at, when you're at the bottom, <laughs> are very complex to make and involve far more moving pieces. And often there is not like one correct answer. It's about making a decision that people agree is the best overall road forwards. 
It's why you're paid more at those senior levels, because the responsibility isn't just about making more monetary value and, and completing tasks anymore, but the complexity of making those decisions that go along with that. Oh, just a side note here. It's one of the reasons why as you rise up the ranks in your career, you're going to struggle with remembering things. So I was actually having this conversation just like a few days ago with a client. And I've had this one basically with almost every single client I've ever had along the lines of, I can't remember as much as I used to. And they're struggling. And I'm like, well, are you writing things down? No, because I never used to. My brain's failing. Sometimes we blame it on baby brain, having kids. It's nothing to do with that. I see this. Don't get me wrong. That might amplify it. But I see this in every single one of us, irrespective of whether or not somebody's had children. No, the key thing is, at that higher level, there's so many more moving parts. You need to give yourself the ability to keep track of it in a different way. You can no longer remi- like just rely on your brain to keep it all in. Okay, just uh, it's a complete side note, but it goes hand in hand with this. It's why you get paid more. It's more complex. It's harder, and the complexity of the decisions and getting buy-in on your decisions becomes harder too because it's no longer clear cut. Even if you're the CEO right? You might think CEOs, if you're not a CEO, you may well think CEOs, they just make their own decisions. Not true. (laughs) You may well find you need to get buy-in from stakeholders, from a board, from investors. Even me as my own business, I need to make sure I get buy-in from the people that are going to execute the work, from my team, from my clients even, right? If I make decisions that none of my clients agree with, that aren't going to impact them, Uh, you know what happens? I lose clients. (laughs) We all have to practice the art of influence, which is where this whole episode comes in. And actually, it's really, really important in one of my favorite areas of coaching, which is in transition coaching. This is where um, people are moving between roles. So transitions take many forms from an internal promotion to working for the same company, but moving teams or even moving countries. The most complex transitions are the ones where there are multiple transitions going on at once, right? So you might be moving company. You might also be stepping up into a new level of role and responsibility. Maybe you're moving geographic locations as well. So you've got multiple transitions happening at once. Very complicated. But one of the reasons I love doing transition coaching, one of the reasons I get so excited when somebody comes to me and says, I'm starting a new job. I want to coach as I land in my new role. Oh, I just love it. Because you have 90 days to prove yourself. Now, in reality, that first interview is actually when people start forming opinions about you. Now, if you've landed the job or you've landed the promotion, you've got a good starting position, okay? But you have three months. At the end of those three months, people's impressions of you are pretty much set in stone. (laughs) However, saying that, It's recognized CEOs and um, HR professionals will tell you that the biggest risk for standout superstars is taking on a new executive role, taking on a new leadership role, because people will only give you 90 days, even if they know better than that. We build our opinions of people that quickly, but most people take between six and 12 months to provide the return on investment of the cost of hiring you. So you need to get up to speed fast. More to the point, as a leader, you need to start making decisions, well-informed decisions. You shouldn't make them in the first 30 days, but 
you need to make start making well-informed decisions and the right decisions for the business as fast as possible. And the biggest place where I see people failing in transitions is failing to realize that they need to work on their network of influencers more than anything else in those first 90 days. It's all connected. <laughs> when, you're, when you're new to a role, people around you will often want to be sound-checking your decisions, and that's, that's valid, right? So they will be using their unofficial networks to check in on your asks and your decisions. They may well go to somebody that now reports to you because they've trusted that person in the past. Once we've been in a role for a while, we'll have our own reputation, right? But even then, you'll probably be aware that if you want Jack to say yes to something, you need Jill over there to vouch for it, right? And if you aren't doing that influence piece with Jill, before you speak to Jack, you know that Jack is going to go to Jill and ask her opinion, but Jill doesn't know anything at this point, so the only information she gets in order to make a decision and give her an informed opinion to Jack is based on what Jack tells her rather than the full picture, right? Hopefully you get the picture of how dangerous that can be. There's a whole grapevine at work there. And you've probably been using these subtle networks accidentally. It, it really hits when we go through transition, which is why I wanted to use that as an example because it's the number one reason where I see so many amazing people struggle in transition is they had that network in their old job. They knew how to use it. They were using it unconsciously a lot of the time. Landing in a new role, you see just, it's a whole iceberg model. What you see is a tiny piece of what's really going on in an organization. And a lot of the time, people can't even explain to you what's actually going on. And part of your job in those first 30 days is to figure that out ASAP. I've been talking to my clients about the season they're in in their career and like seasons you move from one to another over and over again in a cycle. The first season is this transition season. You are working to prove yourself and give your new boss the return on investment because after all, moving somewhere, promoting someone, creating a new business, unit, whatever it is, costly and risky for a business, right? The second season, which you move into after you finish your transition is what I like to call the builder season. It's where you're establishing yourself. It's where you, you've already been accepted, but you're looking at building skills, developing and growing professionally. This is often where the majority of professional development coaches operate. Like you're not looking for an active job. You're not transitioning. You're kind of in this steady state and you're looking to up level, right? But what I see far too often here is people spending too much time in this season, right? And they fail to move on to the third and final season, which is the advancer. This is where you're actioning that growth you've done in the second season. This is where you are ready for the promotion or a new job and you're ready to action the skills that you've developed in your season two. And you're shifting, you're up-leveling your work skills to showcase them and make the case for the next opportunity. It's a different skill set at that point. You have to be using different things than you were using season two or in season one. Now, the big problem I see here, actually, this is again a bit of a tangent, but I think it's really worth explaining what's going on here. Like the seasons of the year, how would it feel if you were in spring and you suddenly find yourself back in winter? Now, I know sometimes we talk about that with the weather, <laughs> especially here in Scotland. We talk about getting all four seasons in one day. But if you genuinely went from spring straight back into winter, it would feel like going backwards. It would be like, it just doesn't feel good, doesn't feel right. It's unsettling even though actually I really love winter 
by the time winter comes around, I'm ready for a short days, hot chocolate, <laughs> pajama evenings. I just love it. <laughs> I'm also very, very ready for summer. I'm very ready for spring when that's there too. It's just, you feel ready. There's a cycle. There's a natural cycle. When you break that cycle because you fall backwards in your seasons, it's destabilizing. It knocks our confidence. And in the three seasons of your career, the way that happens a lot of the time is you're going for a promotion, you're going for a new job, but the foundation hasn't been there. And you're trying and you get knocked back and you end up going back into season two. And this is exhausting. It's It knocks our confidence. It's just terrifying. I've also seen it um, fairly recently with um, somebody coming to work with me who has been um, many years, I think six years ago, can't remember how many years ago, <laughs> had been a VP, landed that role and had just had a really bad time. Those first 90 days had not gone well to the point that she quit the job and went back to her director role, senior director role, I think. Took her six years to go for a new VP position. No kidding. That's the damage it can do when we don't land in a season and really establish ourselves. And I tell this because a large part of that establishment is one, having good advice, knowing what to do, making sure you have a good professional development plan, which is another topic for another day. But the second piece that I see missing, and most coaches only talk about that first piece, like making sure you've ticked all the boxes, right? Making sure you know what you're supposed to do, have a plan. The second piece is this art of influence. And I just do not see enough people talking about this. So that's a long-winded way of saying like that's why I'm talking about this topic today. And this skill of influence is needed across all three seasons. Now, I told you a few minutes ago about the story of Jack and Jill. And I hope you now realize why influence isn't bad or icky, right? It's simply about making sure the right people have the right information at the right time. If you know that Jill is going to be consulted, make sure that Jill has the information you need her to have that addresses her concerns because the grapevine is not a helpful place for it to exist. And yet a lot of the time, that's all we have if somebody isn't proactive in making sure that we have the right information, right? Think about it the other way around. If you were the one being consulted, you would we would all like to think we'd go and ask the, you know, the person for the actual information, but very rarely we do because we don't have time. We're put on the spot for an opinion. Wouldn't it have been preferable if somebody had come to you with the information first so you could give an informed opinion? That's what influence is. It's not icky. It's not wrong. It's not bad, even though society tells us it is. When you look at it like this, it's simply making sure the right people will know the right things at the right time. It's making sure that they have what they need to get past their own emotional baggage and actually properly evaluate something. We'll be talking about that a bit more in the rest of the episode. Are they informed? Are they able to make sure that their concerns have been addressed, that they understand the full ramifications? Because if you aren't doing that, if you aren't giving that information, you're either going to do one of two things. You're going to, one, have to eventually tell them all that stuff anyway. So you might as well do it up front rather than later. Or secondly, your idea is going to get shut down, even if it's a good idea, because the relevant people didn't have the information you needed them to have. And I hate to break it to you, my love, but that's your fault, not your boss's. Right? Right? Your boss just wants a second opinion. (laughs) 
But sadly, second opinion is based on an interpretation, potentially a flawed interpretation, because everybody else's interpretation of what you've just told them is just exactly that, an interpretation. It is necessarily flawed. They didn't do all the homework that you've done. They didn't do all the planning and strategizing that you've done. That's what you're paid to do, right? So if they are then passing on their interpretation to somebody else, it's getting watered down every single time it goes through this process, right? It it needs to come from you. <laughs> it's why I hate the word influence, because it's got this really bad negative connotation, which I'm really hoping you can now see is an unfair reputation. But all it is, making sure the right people, the people who have influence, are also influenced by you instead of by third parties. Okay. Before we move on, actually, I wanted to just drop in here at the fact that this is something I was talking about just a couple of days ago. Friday, the Friday before this episode is going out, I was doing some training um, really about how to up level our careers and talked about all the things that I see as needing more as women that we're just not getting and, and what we can do about that. And it was, it was just a really eye-opening discussion, like what it means to play the long game, what what it means to be an authentic leader. And one of the things I was thinking as I was deciding what to talk about this week for the podcast was a lot of authentic leadership, like we don't we don't even know what that really means, but a lot of it is actually understanding things like I have something really important here that I care about. I'm not going to shy away from making sure the right people hear it. Right. And that's what influence is. But but we if you if I ask somebody like what authentic leadership is, they would never say influence. But it is so much of it is influence. <laughs> I just, I kind of wanted to bring that point home because this can really be part of authentic leadership too. It sounds like a strange thing to say, but it really, really can. And actually on that note, by the way, this is a complete tangent. Wasn't planning to bring this up today, but this week, this is only open to people on my mailing list. But if you're listening to the podcast, you can get the link too. I am relaunching Lit Up Leadership Academy to a very small number of women who are prepared to join me on exclusive um, test program of adding into the academy, which we launched way back in January. We're adding in a coaching element because I've realized, and it drives me nuts, that so many of you want executive coaching, would benefit from executive coaching, but feel that it's not available to you right now for, for lots of different reasons. So I really wanted... I'm just so frustrated because I know how game-changing executive coaching can be. So I wanted to create a a community of like-minded women that provides you with access to executive coaching alongside what I know is phenomenal training inside Lit Up Leadership Academy, geared to the unique challenges that we face as women in tech. And so I am welcoming in just a very small number of women for the next two months to test out how executive coaching can work alongside the Lit Up Leadership Academy training portal and get this because I am here to work with you on this. It's such a small group of you. I'm going to give you this for $97 a month. That's $3.08 a day. $3.08 a day. That's just you're going to spend on a coffee, right? <laughs> if you pay in full, you get it even cheaper, right? It's $185 for the two months because you have to commit to the two months for less than coffee no kidding, right? You can get this for two months for less than what you'd normally pay for an executive coach for an hour, right? You would probably maybe get 30 minutes with somebody for this price, right? So 
I want to invite you to consider if this is what you need to help boost and thrive in your career this year. <laughs> like I said, this was my intention for today's podcast, but just talking about this, I'm like, oh, holy heck, this is exactly why I'm relaunching the Academy in this way. So let me tell you what you get inside the Academy um, if you join and you take part in this coaching. So what do you get? You get full access to Lit Up Leadership Academy training portal. This is phenomenal training. It's everything I wish I'd learned on the way to see me from crucial conversations, managing people and their expectations, developing the extraordinary leadership mindset, thoughtful leadership, executive presence. I even teach strategy and process because I don't see that done well in the tech industry. And oh my God, some of my VPs have recently taken the strategy module and have told me like, oh my God, I can now do strategy better than my bosses. Nobody in my business understands strategy and suddenly I'm finally doing it. It's like game changing. (laughs) Most people don't understand the difference between strategy and tactics and they're very, very different. So anyway, you get all of that in there. So that's the, the main thing that we launched back in January was that. And we had amazing feedback, but the feedback I got was, it's amazing, but what I need is coaching to help me deal with what I'm learning. Like when I learn something and I'm trying to implement it, I'm hitting barriers. So in addition, for these two months, I'm welcoming in a very small number of women to also get three mastermind coaching sessions with your fellow members to help you stay on track and stay focused and answer your burning questions. You're going to have advice, guidance, support, and figuring out how to shape and take action on a personalized development plan. I'm going to be giving you regular training on Zoom. You can watch live, you can watch the replay. So you can see like how to accelerate your career fast. We're going to be going into what I've been talking about here about the seasons and what do you need to be doing at each stage? Where do most people fail to do the right thing? And therefore, how can you avoid those missteps? There's also a private Slack community just for members so you can support each other and get your questions answered in real time. And I have a very special bonus, which is only available for this beta launch. You're going to get one-to-one access to me (laughs) for the two months. I am probably not going to offer this again um, because it's worth $500, but you're going to get monthly one-to-one laser coaching sessions with me. And you can get all that for $3.08 a day. Holy heck, what's not to love? So (laughs) if that sounds good to you, there is no fancy sales page because I am just testing this out with a very small number of women. But because you're listening to the podcast, provided that you sign up by the end of this week, that's Friday, July 30th, then you can get in for this very special price. You'll need to get the link from the show notes, but I'll tell you here anyway. (laughs) It's tonycollis.thrivecart.com forward slash academy dash beta dash membership, right? It's in the show notes. Go check your show notes. In fact, go do that right now. Go pause, click on the show notes, get this link, go sign up right now. I mean, like, seriously, this is a once in a lifetime opportunity. What am I? I don't even why you're still listening to me. Have you gone and done that? You're back? Okay, good. <laughs> do make sure if you haven't already, go, go check out, go and pay, just sign up. We're starting in August. I cannot wait to invite you in. Anyway, I want to spend the rest of this episode digging into the influence process. I actually want you to have a process to influence so you can put it on autopilot. Now, get make sure you've got a paper and pen, your favorite e-pen, whatever it is, because this is something I actually want you to put into practice straight away. And there literally is some steps you're going to take to make sure this happens. There's some upfront work to do. 
This is an exercise I walk through with clients who are doing that transition, who are in season one transitioning. The quicker you can understand the unspoken network of influence, the faster you're going to get traction, be accepted by culture of your organization. So if you don't have a clear understanding of your influence network in your organization, then you need to do this upfront work. I honestly suggest create a map of all the people who you would ever consult or ask for a decision to be made by, include all stakeholders involved that you would go to. And if you're new to an organization, then part of your first 30 days is figuring out who those people are, right? I could go into the how here, but that's a whole other episode as well. And then assuming you've got those, identified those people, the next step is identifying who those people go to and trust and ask questions of and get influenced by. Yeah, this takes real time to appreciate. It's one of those hidden cultural aspects. As I said, there's an iceberg model going on here. Definitely hard to ascertain. But if you've been somewhere long enough, you kind of get an idea of who trusts who, right? And who goes to hear about certain topics. So you may well find somebody goes to one person for one type of topic and somebody completely asks for something else, right? That's a subtlety you're going to pick up over time. But right now you're just looking for who does the CEO speak to? Like, who do they implicitly trust? Maybe they go to the VP of marketing on some topics, even though they're nothing to do with marketing, right? That's not wrong. Get it documented there. Other times they might rely on their COO or their chief of staff. I want you to try and map all of this out. With the advent of working from home, I even totally advocate having a wall chart in your office at a camera feed that has all this mapped out. <laughs> really, really helps. <laughs> As I said, I want this to be a process for you. So you know when you're going to David for a, a decision or advice, you know exactly who you need to be speaking to before you speak to David. You get my point here? Now, also be aware that you should be prepared to update this chart over time. People, organizations, relationships, influence relationships, it waxes and wanes, they come and they go you'll notice sort of shifts in the organization. My goal actually for you, if you use this process enough, is that you become one of those trusted people, right? (laughs) So once you've got that mapped out, the next thing that kicks in is to start mapping out the network and figuring out who's involved in which decisions. So I want you to ask yourself these questions. Who's involved in this decision and who were they consult? That's simple. That's the first set of questions to ask yourself. This is the process. Who's involved? Who will they consult? This is why you have your wall chart. Super quick and easy. Ask yourself this question. You know exactly who, to, who you're going to be targeting. And then for each of the people that you've identified who are going to be consulted, you have three further questions. Number one, how will they feel about the current situation in this area? Do they like it? Do they not like it? The status quo. How will they feel about the outcome of this proposed change or modification or whatever it is that you're asking for permission on? Do they like it? Will they not like it? Will they feel threatened? And the third question is, will they feel threatened or pressured, even if it's a good idea in principle? This one's a bit harder. So for example, somebody might like the idea in the in principle because they're, you know, it's going to be removing a responsibility of theirs that's overwhelming. Maybe they've complained that they're swamped. Often when we're faced with a change, though, that's going to take something away from us, which is going to reduce our overwhelm, we still feel threatened. <laughs> and when we have a threat response, we are likely to be at best initially negative and at worst full-on retaliatory. 
for example, I was working with a client recently. It's actually one of the reasons I wanted to do this episode. Um, who recently got kicked back from a boss on a proposed reorganization. She'd been working on this for a while. The pushback, it turns out, was coming from the very person that my client believed was going to benefit the most because they kept complaining to her about all the stuff that was on their plate that was never getting done and that they didn't have resources, they didn't have this, they didn't have that. The reorg was in large part to address such things and, and others, don't get me wrong, was going to really up-level this person. But they felt threatened because they were vulnerable in this very area. They knew they weren't coping. They made that clear to my client. So when they were told that a solution was coming, they found that they were scared that somehow this is going to be a slight on them. Most human beings don't have the emotional intelligence to pause when they have this sort of threat response. We all get threat responses. It's human nature. Most people have no idea that that's what they're doing. Very few people have the self-awareness to pause and realize this reaction I'm having, this temptation I have to lash out this person in front of me is because of my own inner challenges and my own threat response, right? You have to assume they don't have the ability to do that because most people don't. It's part of what I want you to develop for your executive presence piece, right? <laughs> that level of self-awareness is going to go very, very far if you develop it. it. takes practice. As I said, most people don't ever get there, including the CEOs, by the way. So part of your role is to do that assessment on their behalf. You don't tell them that's what you're doing, but that's that third question, will they feel threatened or pressured, even if it's a good idea in principle, is to help you understand that. Because once you've understood likely responses, your job is to put in place plans to work around that or with that. Sometimes this requires you to just be tough. There is no workaround for the individual and instead address the decision maker head on with this information. For example, if you know that Charlie is going to be upset with a proposed new product line and feels threatened by it, but you know it's the right idea, Firstly, identify why Charlie is going to feel threatened, such as perception that it will take away from his product line in some way. And secondly, tell the decision maker who is otherwise going to go to Charlie for advice and insight that you're aware that this is stepping on the toes of Charlie's work. However, it still needs to be done because ABC, that's your business justification, right? That level of political and business awareness is what your stakeholders need from you. And a lot of the time, even if you're saying, yes, you're a trusted advisor, you're not calling that by name, right? You are, you're acutely aware that this person you're going to go to is, you know, going to feel threatened by this. The very fact that you can demonstrate that, that you have that awareness, is going to make the person who would normally go there for advice just pause and be like, oh, that's a good point. Okay. They may still go to Charlie for advice but they're going to know that there's that colored lens that Charlie is looking through. Now, most of the time, there are better ways to work around the influence network of your key decision makers. Indeed, if you always go in with, and this is really going to upset David, Julia, Kate, they're going to hate it, you're eventually going to come known as a bit of a bull in a china shop, right? Even if you have the best of intentions. Instead of that tactic, and that's one to use as your backup plan. Instead, I want you to, wherever possible, really work with the individual first to mitigate their threat response. My first and preferred tactic is to go in and ask for feedback, but go prepared with how you will mitigate their threat response. So you may well be presenting a little bit to them like, oh, hey, this is this idea I've had. I'd love your ideas and feedback on it. But actually, you kind of already know what you want and you're just kind of 
helping them see, sometimes they have amazing ideas, so do not be close to that. But actually what you're trying to do is say to them, yes, I hear you and here's why that is not true, relevant, here's how we're going to mitigate that issue for you, whatever it is. You want to go in and help them to realize that this is still the right thing to do. (laughs) Go in, present that case and ask them for their feedback. And crucially, do this before you get to the stage of having really set it in stone because you may well find something useful. Now, do bear in mind, just because you're asking for feedback doesn't mean you integrate all of it. But by engaging people in the development process of your idea, you can make them feel involved. There is nothing better than saying a we when you're stood in front of a room presenting to your boss this idea and everybody nodding their heads because they've all been consulted, even if they didn't fully agree. But suddenly, they're involved. They own this with you. Suddenly, you have immediate allies. And the key here is to do this for each person's why. You need to do private socialization of such ideas. Just doing it in a group is not going to cut it because everybody has their own issues, their own threat responses, their own whys. What's going to make them see past why they're emotional around this? is different for every individual. Their threat responses is different for every individual. You can't address those in a public presentation, or you can, but it's a lot harder. (laughs) It's a lot, lot harder. Those people that can get on stage and rally an organization of a thousand people from a stage, those are those people. But it's a whole different set of skills, which I'm not going into here. And they still have to do this work a lot of the time behind the scenes, by the way. This is your job as well. I really want you to get this into your head. A lot of the time, this feels like there's a lot of work going on here. I have to run into all these nuances of all these different people. It's exhausting. And we can feel like, for you know, for F's sake, <laughs> why can't you just deal with this? Here's the thing. How many ideas have you had shot down? This is how you get your great ideas taken forward. So it's upfront effort. But if you use it, it becomes easier over time as well because these people start trusting you more. Now, the final stage, once you've gone to all of the people who are going to influence your decision maker or your decision makers and got buy-in from them, your final step is to go to the decision maker. And that's why this process is so beautiful because I've just said a lot to you, but actually there are five steps and that's it. One, identify the idea. Two, identify the decision makers. Three, identify the decision makers, influencers, and advisors. Four, which comes into several parts, but work on getting buy-in from the influencers and advisors by understanding A, their threat responses, B, their why, C, the opportunities and benefits for each person involved, and D, anyone who you need to bypass directly and instead make the case to the decision maker why they shouldn't be consulted without actually saying that right? So there's four parts to part four. But then step five, simple one, go to the decision maker with your case, including what they need to hear for their own opportunities, benefits, threat responses, and crucially the business case. Five steps, nice and simple. What I would love for you to do, because I'm a real process lady, (laughs) I want you to map this out and I want you to use it over and over again. Every single decision you need buy-in from, pull this five-step process out, get used to using it, right? Because one day you'll realize that firstly, you're doing this on autopilot. And secondly, you have become the trusted advisor that others come to. Yes, really. (laughs) But let's finish up with a leadership mindset moment. And I'm hearing you asking if you're new around here, what is a leadership mindset moment? Well, 
it is an actionable tip to help you adjust how you act or think to make it easier to up-level on the topic of today's podcast. And today's leadership mindset moment is really about helping you understand those threat responses. To do that, it's worth taking the time to get into the head and thinking like the individual you are going to be talking to next. This isn't something you can just squeeze into five minutes before you have the conversation. Instead, this is the meaty part of the strategy work. Yes, strategy work includes people strategy. And not just like, you know, what's our organization going to look at? This includes thinking about how people are going to respond. It's why I say to people that you need to have a significant time in your calendar for strategy because strategy isn't just dreaming up the ideas and figuring out the plan of action. No, 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 no. (laughs) It's politics. And the good kind of politics. When you do this, politics becomes easy, not icky, like we kind of often think about office politics as. At the end of the day, senior leaders need to get things done that are complex and unclear. And that includes you, my love. Even if you're not a senior leader yet, the quicker you can get there, the faster you're going to up level. And that requires buy-in from many, many people. And that requires politics. But to do that, I want you to take the time to think through all the permutations that you can think of for the different ways that people might experience or interpret your idea. How might they perceive your idea? What do they likely think might go wrong? What has gone wrong that's looked like this in the past? What do they tend to say in meetings when they're like, oh, but we tried that five years ago. I used to hate people. I do hate people that say that. We already tried that. <laughs> like, Yeah, then it didn't work because, you know, I want you to get into the head of these people because if you can figure that out before you walk into the room with them, you can identify the weak points and what they're going to see, what they're going to object to and help you address those concerns head on in your initial pitch. The more you do this, the better all of your decisions will become as well. So take the time to get this right. Believe me, you'll go further, faster with this upfront effort. Those people that walk into a room and just seem to get people to align with them, it's because they really know how to help people hear what they're saying. And that is by assessing what people need to hear. (laughs) Okay? The alternative is not taking the time and becoming the person who has loads of ideas that always get shot down. I've been that person. I've also worked with such people and it doesn't help you in the long run. In fact, you become infuriating in the long run. I was, in hindsight, I was one of those really annoying people with a hundred ideas. I've also had one of those annoying people with a hundred ideas reporting to me, (laughs) right? That's how I know it's annoying. They're amazing. They're inspirational, but nothing gets done. And lots of reasons. One, sometimes they don't execute that the ideas that they have, but also everything gets shot down because they don't do their homework. That doesn't mean you do all this work in isolation, but it does mean you fully think things through before you take them to the table. Gosh, this was a long episode. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. And don't forget, if you want more of this kind of thing, if you want to take what we talk about in the podcast, go deeper, implement it, really understand it, then Lit Up Leadership Academy is for you. If you want to become one of my beta testers for just $3.8 a day for the next two months, head on over to tonycollis.thrivecart.com forward slash academy dash beta dash membership. I cannot wait to welcome you in to the academy and help you really turn 2021 into the year you are truly thriving. Until next time, remember, stay on your tech leisure game, follow your dreams because the world really does need that uniqueness that you bring 
as a leading woman in tech. If you enjoyed listening to this podcast, check out how to get more of my help and some free resources. It's where I take what I talk about in this podcast and really help you apply it. Hop on over to tonycollis.com and check out Work With Tony and free resources in the menu bar. Until next time, this was Tony Collis on the Leading Woman in Tech podcast.